0: Thanks for listening to This Blew Up. If you're enjoying our show, you might also like some of The Ringer's other narrative podcasts, like 22 Goals, a history of the Men's World Cup told through the lens of 22 of the most memorable goals ever scored in the tournament. Part Modern History Lesson, part Personal Essay, and part Sports Euphoria, a full-service podcast. Or, if you can't get enough of my voice, check out Boom Bust HQ Trivia. You'll hear me investigate the rise and fall of the ultra-viral trivia app HQ Trivia and learn a few things about our attention economy along the way. We like making shows for you here at The Ringer, and we like you. Thanks for listening.
1: There's no better feeling than a personal win, and the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that.
0: I was able to get a hold of this letter that was submitted to Clubhouse Media Group's board of directors in February of 2021. It was written by a female staffer at the company, someone who worked with the influencers. I've confirmed her identity, but chosen not to reveal her name to protect her privacy. The title of the document was, I'm Scared. And it did not mince words. I'll read you a bit from the beginning. Quote, I know that I am scared. I want nothing more to work in an environment that makes me feel safe. But I know that being young in the entertainment industry can make that difficult. Everything that documentaries or movies have told me growing up about the dark side of Hollywood is exactly how I feel at this company." End quote. It went on to voice complaints about Amir and Chase and compared the company's work culture to the Stanford prison experiment. But most concerning, at least to me, were descriptions of a handful of incidents said to involve Noor Coder. Some background on Noor. He started out in the business as a musician. And after experiencing some mild success, he moved on to management. He formed his own TikTok collab house of teen girls in summer of 2021. It grew very fast and had its own fair share of public controversies. Actually, this house got so big that Noor told me Clubhouse Media Group CEO Amir Ben-Yohanan attempted to buy his business from him. And I just want to mention that I've reached out to Amir several times about the letter and Clubhouse's business relationship with Noor, but haven't heard back. I've also reached out to Clubhouse Media Group through its website and the PR company it employed, but the company hasn't responded either. Anyway. Nor declined Amir's offer. And instead, the two of them struck up a mutually beneficial arrangement. Noor's influencers would move in with the members of Not A Content House, the Gen Z girl group that was run by Clubhouse Media Group. This is all before that salacious YouTube video and the group's eventual rebrand. Under this deal, Noor would be able to manage his talent while benefiting from both the housing the company provided and the publicity of this supergroup. <laughs> He was 21, living at the house with a few of his male photographer assistants and a group of female creators between the ages of 16 and 21. They often traveled together, like up to Big Bear or that ill-fated Vegas weekend. The author of the letter voiced concern about this setup and described Noor as, quote, Sus as fuck, end quote. It named several occasions where Noor had sexually harassed her at work. The described offenses included inappropriately jumping on her, asking her to sleep in the same bed with a pillow for a boundary, hugging her inappropriately, and instigating so-called tickle fights. Finally, it expressed concern that Noor and other male contractors were living with female creators who were teens, saying, quote, if someone is going to live in the content house with them, it should be a freaking girl, end quote. It concluded by asking for distance from Noor in the workplace. When I first read that letter, it crystallized all the conversations I'd had, all the contracts, text exchanges, and lawsuits I'd sorted through, and the many, many hours of content I'd consumed while reporting this story. I'd learned in vivid detail the haphazard way Clubhouse Media Group was built, the empty promises made to recruit workers, the fact that most of those workers were extremely young and quickly disposed of. And I also knew that the labor regulations meant to protect people on movie and TV sets were virtually non existent within a modern day content house, which amounted to some kind of social media feudalism dressed up as a dream come true. Put it all together, and you get a person feeling unsafe and disillusioned at work. It was especially upsetting to read that, even as documentaries and movies had warned her about Hollywood's darker side, the allure of the industry was too seductive to ignore. Clubhouse Media Group had positioned itself as part of a movement that paved new, empowering ground for the young and famous. Maybe it was just easier to believe in that fantasy. In any case, her description of events was now on the desk of the company's leadership. How they'd choose to act would illustrate the company's priorities. Would this social media outfit move quickly to protect its young staff and creators? Or would it repeat the mistakes of its predecessors and dust these accounts of bad behavior under the rug? I'm Alyssa Bereznak From Spotify and the Ringer Podcast Network, you're listening to This Blew Up. That letter surprised me for another reason. I'd spoken to Nor two times already, and in neither of those interviews did he mention any of the allegations of the behavior I just described to you. Behavior that the author of that letter said made her uncomfortable and created a work environment she felt was inappropriate. Noor said his business agreement ended with Amir because Amir had seen him as competition. Here's Noor during a conversation we had in June of this year.
3: It was like, it feels like you're a McDonald's in my Burger King. And I was like, I would be the Burger King in your McDonald's. Can you
0: explain that a little bit?
3: Yeah, it's like he had an arsenal of, you know, houses and stuff and creators. And I have an arsenal that's a quarter of that size, but you know, very mighty. Right. And so he would, he wanted to just consume mine and just make it all one, but I wouldn't allow it. So it was just I like, see. you know, and obviously I was living in the house. And so, you know, just by living in the properties, it's a huge business advantage. Right. Cause it's like, Oh, you know, he's an entrepreneur. You know, he could be literally recruiting people in my house. Right. So he saw it that way.
0: I see. I see. I see. And so in this case, you see Burger King as the small and mighty one. Yep. Anyway, I brought him back into the studio a few months later to ask about some new information I'd uncovered. The first of which was that following the submission of the I'm Scared letter to the board, he attended a meeting on February 27th, 2021 at Amir's Beverly Hills home. The meeting included Amir, the company's chief of staff, Arlene Guzman, and a woman named Adrian Gary. Adrian is a former Miramax executive who'd been hired by the company as a consultant.
3: I don't remember the date it happened, I remember meeting with Amir at his house.
0: Around that time?
3: Yeah. Maybe around like February time, yeah.
4: What do you remember about it?
3: I remember we met up, and this was after the time when the house had just kind of dissolved, and they were in a pretty tight spot.
0: At this meeting, Amir, Arlene, and Adrian communicated a handful of concerns they'd heard about Nora's behavior. The first of which was that he wasn't honoring a verbal agreement to log all the deals he brought to creators in the company's project management software. And as a result, he was not sharing profits of those deals with the company.
3: I remember them bringing it up and being very like, we want to know this, we want to know that? That was the beginning of the end of our relationship because it was very like, let's find reasons to basically get Nor out. You know, let's give him more tasks.
0: They asked Nor to fill in any deals he'd left out immediately. The second concern brought up at this meeting was the behavior described in the letter, that Noor had made staff uncomfortable and contributed to an inappropriate work environment. Noor told me he was surprised by these descriptions.
3: I was honestly shocked. I was like, what the what the fuck is that? Like, what does that mean? Who is that? Who Who is that, you know, about?
0: And he denied the accusations completely.
3: And so when they say, I created a hostile environment, I did this, I did that, like, what hostility did I create a 22-year-old, 21-year-old at the time? What did I create? What did I do? So it's like they just wanted to build a story that would be semi-believable to other people that were outsiders to be like, yeah, oh, yeah, we had this problem. It, it was his fault. It wasn't Amir's fault. It wasn't Chris Young's fault. It was the literal 20, 21-year-old who's, you know, it's like, how is that even believable? But that's what I would say to those two things.
0: I should note that Clubhouse Media Group did not make any public statements about these specific accusations. No matter Norris denials, he was told that his role working with the company would likely change.
3: There was really no like clear layout of what the role was going to be from that point. It was very like, honestly, it was obviously super frustrating for me because I really did help, you know, in the transition period.
0: At this point, it appeared that Clubhouse Media Group was taking the accusations made in the letter seriously. The board tasked Adrian Gary with conducting an investigation into Noor's conduct at the company. She then summarized her findings in a report dated March 4th, which I was able to obtain. The report, like the meeting at Amir's, initially focused on whether Noor failed to share profits with Clubhouse Media Group. It said he'd left a few deals out of the company's tracking software. And when they asked him to update it, he kind of did, but not to everyone's satisfaction. This led to conclusion number one in the report, that, quote, the bond of trust with the company and Noor is broken, end quote. Then the report turned from money stuff toward his workplace interactions. It cited complaints about Noor's behavior from parents and creators, saying, quote, these complaints relate to sexual harassment and creating a hostile environment all of which jeopardizes the company and exposing it to legal liabilities, end quote. The report also listed incidents consistent with those detailed in the I'm Scared employee letter. Which brings us to the report's second conclusion. Citing the company's legal responsibility to maintain a harassment-free work environment, Adrian Gary made a recommendation to, quote, sever the relationship with Noor as soon as possible, end quote. I asked Chris Young who was the president of the company and a member of the board, about the accusations of harassment described in this report. But he said he couldn't remember the whole story. I just wanted to
4: go back to the Nor thing because in the report that I reviewed, it it looks as though it was brought to the board. So that's why I'm confused that you, you didn't remember it.
5: Like I said, I... You know, I, I'm a, as an attorney, I, I like, unless I know absolutely for a fact, I can't say that I, I remember something. Like, I can't recollect it 100%. Mm-hmm. I do remember Noor being brought up as being a potential mm-hmm. issue, um, and I do remember mm-hmm. that it was brought to the board, and I think the recommendation at the time was that Noor should not be with the company. But I don't remember specifically what it was that he did or was alleged that of
4: mm-hmm. So I can read it here. Um, Jumping on staff with sexual undertones, a witness told Nora to get off of the staff member, suggesting that staff sleep in his bed with a pillow for boundaries separating them. This made the staff very uncomfortable. Inappropriate hugging and groping of staff, also making staff uncomfortable. It instigate tickle fights with staff, again making the staff uncomfortable. Do you remember those?
5: I don't remember that exact report. Um, I do remember a, a similar report. And uh, I do remember there was a board meeting about Nor. And like I said, I remember that a recommendation was that Noor be separated from the House.
0: The same day this report was submitted, Clubhouse board member Simon Yu wrote and signed a letter to a parent who had voiced concerns about Noor. The letter assured her that, quote, as we work on investigating all facts related to these matters, management has made a decision to suspend Noor Coder from all corporate and house management activities, end quote. On paper, Clubhouse Media Group appeared to be finished doing business with Noor. But in practice, it wasn't a clean break. Following this investigation, sources familiar with the situation and internal communication I reviewed indicate that around March 14th, the board passed a resolution that laid out new company guidelines for working with Noor. It barred him from living or staying over at any of the content houses but not from visiting them. If he wanted to do that, he needed to bring another Clubhouse Media Group contractor with him. But still, he kept working for the company as a talent recruiter. I don't know exactly why the company didn't take the advice of the investigation and immediately and completely sever ties with Noor, but my reporting suggests it was more of a slow fade out because Clubhouse Media Group wanted to keep working with Anna Shoemate and Eva Cudmore, two major influencers that Noor exclusively managed. In our interview, Noor said he never officially heard about this resolution. But he confirmed that Amir communicated these guidelines to him. Noor was told that he would not be moving in with the Justa house members at their new location.
3: Amir was like, yeah, first we're going to have it be only girls living or staying at the house for the most part.
0: After that, Noor says he was required to bring a staffer with him whenever he visited the properties. In practice, this usually meant another young contractor who was also in their early 20s.
3: Then Amir was like, you need to have a chaperone, you need to be supervised, you need this, you need that. I'm like, why the hell would I need to be supervised? I used to live with these people for a long time.
0: I've spoken to sources familiar with the situation and looked over text messages that indicate Noor was not always compliant with this policy. He denies that characterization.
3: No, I mean, I followed the rules and even, you know, I, I communicated with the chief of staff.
0: Eventually, the company ended its relationship with Noor entirely not long after the two influencers I mentioned dropped him as a manager. Needless to say, if I were a parent who had a daughter in one of these content houses, and someone who worked closely with them had been accused of all the things Noor had, these are not guidelines that would set my mind at ease. To me, this whole situation shows a major lack of oversight. I won't make excuses for Noor's alleged behavior. But also... Clubhouse Media Group's slapdash work environment allowed for this kind of stuff to happen. Nor is yet another extremely young person who was put in a position of power at the company without the requisite experience or supervision. Even with this new chaperone policy, the responsibility to protect the staff and influencers at these content houses was placed on other very young people. Meanwhile, even the company's own CEO had engaged in inappropriate behavior, that included misogynistic comments, questions about creators' boyfriends, and harsh directives. I should remind you that just the month before, Chris Young said that the Clubhouse Media Group board had barred Amir from visiting the content houses and speaking to its members. All of this was just a colossal mess. Kids stacked up in a trench coat, masquerading as a company. Where were all the adults in the room? Miraculously, Clubhouse Media Group had managed to pull out from a major PR crisis and claims of sexual harassment relatively unscathed. By mid-March, the price of the company's stock was down from its initial spike, but still trading between $9 and $17 a share. Its most well-known collectives, Clubhouse BH and Not A Content House, had sputtered out, at least to the audiences that followed them. And according to SEC filings— Clubhouse Media Group didn't renew the three-month lease it signed for the just-a-house property. The Notch spinoff disbanded around June of 2021. The company's Las Vegas collective was also short-lived, ending the same month. But the company kept on with the same old rhythm, launching new entities as its older brands petered out. It managed to get some former Viners, the Dober brothers, into one of its properties for a bit. It expanded abroad, launching a Clubhouse branch in the Republic of Malta and its flagship Beverly Hills location became a set for the Dance Dome, a group of skilled dancers who were big on TikTok. All variations on a theme. Amir remained barred from visiting these content houses and interacting with their creators. So around July, 2021, he started a new vertical he could be more involved in, porn.
6: It kind of like seemed that after the whole video happened, Amir started working on the WeHeart fans.
0: WeHeart fans, like OnlyFans. George Gomez, a photographer who worked and lived at Not A Content House before it expanded, recalls being roped into the project following that salacious tell-all YouTube video.
3: I feel like he just also needed like a backup plan, I guess, as far as like still wanting to be involved with something. Because I feel like that's his that was his thing, where he still wanted to be in hand, like hands, like hands-on, with something. And whenever Chris came in the picture more often, he
6: had no word with another Content House girls.
0: Much like OnlyFans, the basis of WeHeartFans was a website where you could sign up for paid monthly subscriptions to specific creators' content. To launch and promote this new platform, a handful of adult content models were brought into the mix. It was George's job to film and photograph them.
6: At that point, he was really, really demanding. Like, I was doing shoots, Every day long, like,
3: I was shooting all day long. It was just so much. It was just a lot of work.
0: He said they sometimes used the flagship Beverly Hills location for shoots.
3: Some of this content, just now it was explicit. Like, I was shooting these girls, like, naked. And we would use the, the main clubhouse, the Summit Drive house. We would use it. So then Chris would be like, oh, wow, like, we really can't have those girls in here. while wow, we have some of those other younger influencers visiting the house
6: or whatever, whatever. You know, it's not a good view.
0: There's nothing wrong with porn, especially if the people starring in it are able to collect the majority of the profits it generates. But to me, this was a vivid illustration of Clubhouse Media Group's evolution. This is the same property where influencers like Daisy Keech and Leslie Golden did TikTok dance challenges under the gaze of that gigantic George Washington painting. Naked women had replaced them. Young internet personalities ruthlessly reduced to consumable bodies. One person who was getting pretty fed up with Amir's vision was the company's president, Chris Young. He'd been called upon to act as an intermediary between Amir and the not House members. He said he'd recommended limiting Amir's access to influencers and removing Norcoder from the company. But at the end of the day, because Amir had both majority ownership of the company and majority voting power, Chris didn't have much of a say in things. And if anyone on the board pushed back too hard, Amir could replace them.
5: Essentially, we had no vote in any matter, no matter what our suggestions were, whether or not we were on the board or whether we were in, you know, what would be called positions of power. We try to provide as much guidance as possible, but um, the ultimate decision would come down from
0: Amir. In our interview, Chris made no effort to hide that he disagreed with Amir. I think that's helpful to keep in mind for an exchange that took place on August 29th between him and Amir. It played out like so many other important events in the company's history over text message. In this case, a group chat with executive-level members of the company titled CMGR Internal Exec Chat. Sources familiar with the situation say that Chris Young was on a flight and had gotten into a disagreement with Amir over company matters. That disagreement escalated and then moved to the executive group chat. Just a heads up, what you're going to hear now is a reenactment of certain parts of this text exchange. These are not the real voices of the people involved.
7: Amir will be resigning tomorrow.
0: Harris Tolchin, one of the businessmen that was added to Clubhouse Media Group's board in the latter half of 2020, replied,
7: Chris, please stop texting. Call me when you land.
0: But Chris did not.
7: I'm done covering for our CEO's incompetence. He lacks experience and won't listen to advice. If you guys want to answer to the SEC for his lack of ability to, so be it.
0: Harris again tried to get Chris to stop. Chris, please
7: stop texting. Please, there are a lot of people copied here. Please stop. Call me when you get off the plane.
0: And again, he did not.
7: Amir, stop lying to investors.
0: That's when Amir, as they say, entered the chat.
5: What investor, Chris? Please,
0: do explain. He and Chris got into it. Chris ran through a list of grievances, including a complaint that Amir was driving away influencers from the company. He told Amir to step down.
7: Your best bet is to retire and let the professionals run the company. Go back to real estate.
0: Amir deflected. These are text messages, so I don't know the tone exactly, but his responses read as pretty condescending.
5: You were the professional we need? Yes, Chris.
7: Have you ever ran a company? What's interesting is how delusional you are. And that we have to figure out if you have an actual mental deficiency. I'm not smart enough for you. You have a chance to stop while you're still ahead. Just take it.
0: It got uglier. Chris suggested contacting a reporter. Amir accused Chris of drinking. I won't continue, but needless to say, this conversation did not lead to Amir stepping down. Actually, a month and a half later, Chris left his role as president. On October 14th, a company press release said he would move into a consulting role.
5: I left the company because I didn't believe the direction it was going in and, and I wasn't, you know, uh, I wasn't happy with the fact that my voice wasn't
4: being heard. Okay. And during this time uh, after like after this whole Natch thing happened, were you concerned at all that you were part of this company where you had seen this pattern of abuse happening here with
5: Absolutely. It was a combination of things adding up over time and time again, where I felt like there could have been a proper route for the company. Uh, and I suggested things that I felt, like I said, weren't being hurt and weren't being implemented. And I, I think i said this a few times now on this call. The long and short of it is, I really wanted the influencers to be successful. I wanted them to you know, be secure, both emotionally and physically, etc. Like in many ways, I wanted us all to succeed. And I didn't feel when I resigned at that point that there was a pathway forward for that to happen.
8: I
0: appreciate Chris's sentiment about everyone prospering here, but I should also say that ultimately it was him, not Clubhouse Media Group's creators, nor its co-founder Daisy Keach, who had shares of company stock to cash out at the end. In late 2021, Nasdaq Insider Activity records show that Chris sold a little over 960,000 of his shares for over $330,000 before taxes. When he began unloading his shares, Clubhouse Media Group had returned to its penny stock status, trading at 81 cents a pop. By the time he'd sold it all in December, it was trading at just 25 cents.
1: Have you ever wondered what it's like to bite into nerds' gummy clusters? They're fruity. Tangy. They're gummy. And they're crunchy. Nerds Gummy Clusters, a union of fruity, sweet gummy and tangy, crunchy nerds. Unleash your senses. Shop now at nerdscandy.com.
0: While none of the creators I spoke to received equity at the company, at least two of them were hit with multi-million dollar lawsuits. Leslie Golden and Lauren Kettering and her parents. In the process of interviewing them, they both expressed that if they lost their cases, it would be a huge financial hardship. Brian Kettering, Lauren's dad, said it kept him up at night.
2: I was unemployed, you know, when all of this happened. I was an unemployed guy. And, and, you know, that that stress of being unemployed for the first time in my life. I've had a job my whole life and the pandemic cost me uh, my job that I was in. You know, and you get hit with the lawsuit and um, you're thinking to yourself, how is this even possible? And that's all I could think of. And sleepless nights, you know, sure, I have sleepless nights.
0: Aside from being expensive, these lawsuits were one more rude reminder of the ruthless industry they've become a part of. Leslie and Lauren found their ways into the clubhouse organization via very different paths. But they both grew up awash in the aspirational sheen of social media. Like the rest of their young peers, they were raised on a feedback loop of young influencers that told them, hey, this could be you. You could be famous. And once you're famous, you can rise above the masses to be anything you want. You can have control of your destiny. But for all the ground level boundaries that social media fame had cleared for them, new ones had been built on the way to the top. Growing a personal brand, it turned out, required hitching their identity to a benefactor, whether that was a hodgepodge of brands, a well-connected manager, or a shrewd investor. And even then, your momentum could peter out at any moment from some mysterious change in the winds. Behind the scenes, there was a delicate calculation of alliances, publicity, and profit. In this case, their math was off. They stood up for what was right, spoke up. Now they were learning the hard way just how far down they were on the food chain. Lauren couldn't help but take it a little personally.
8: Maybe thinks I'm weak or something. Um. You know, other people have connections. And I just think maybe he thought I didn't have those connections and it was easy to silence me. But I'm willing to fight for, like, the right to be able to speak on what happened to me and, like, how I feel. — Leslie echoed Lauren's sentiment. She said,
0: in retrospect, that was also her major regret, not standing up for herself. What was the point of having all these followers, of building this platform on her personality, if she couldn't express herself? I wish that I would have recognized that my voice is so much more valuable than money because I wanted to speak out for so long and just felt like I couldn't. And now I know, like, as a creator, I have a voice and I'm gonna use it and I'm not gonna let anybody bully me and back me down into a corner again. I spoke to both Leslie and the Ketterings in the spring of 2021, when these lawsuits were still fresh on their minds. Both parties were fired up by the prospect of defending their right to speak out against bad behavior, and holding a company like Clubhouse Media Group, and a CEO like Amir, accountable. This is a familiar refrain in the influencer universe. There's a lot of talk about using their platforms for good, about sticking up for what they believe in, and about being authentic and honest with their followers. It makes sense that it's a principle they hold so dear, because it also happens to be the bedrock of their business. But unlike the fast-paced world of social media stardom, legal disputes rarely offer immediate gratification. They're an expensive waiting game, in this case made even slower by the pandemic. The invigorating concept of free speech gets picked apart and organized into decidedly uninvigorating statutes. And for obvious reasons, most lawyers would not encourage one to post daily updates on social media about one's legal journey. All this time to consider the many possible outcomes of your case can weigh on a person. When it came to the public personas of both Leslie and Lauren, you wouldn't have been able to pick up on any of this. They both kept building their fan bases and living their glamorous influencer lives. And after a while, they both stopped responding to my outreach. In the end, both their cases were dismissed. I don't know if certain agreements were made for that to happen. More generally, I understand that court cases brought to trial can be pricey and that, historically, a settlement on a media-sensitive matter involving public figures usually involves a lot of non-disclosure agreements. I haven't seen either Leslie or Lauren speak out about Clubhouse Media Group since. But I do think that their experiences are instructive. Both Leslie and Lauren managed to break away from what you might think of as normal, preordained life paths, leveling up to the standards set by their social media feeds. For Leslie, that meant ascending the titles of pole dancer or ignite model and exploiting her looks and personal life to gain independence. But along the way, she couldn't escape the misogyny that surrounded her at the ground level or the punishment that came from pushing up against it. Lauren, on the other hand, was on a trajectory toward a stable suburban life. Social media fame meant she could pursue her passions and achieve even more success. But as she fast-forwarded through formative high school years to build her career, the transactional world of entertainment forced her to grow up quickly. She and her family learned that no amount of hard work was enough to save them from the pitfalls of an industry where money, connections, and power reign supreme. Their experiences are just two of many in a social media ecosystem rife with issues. Whether we're talking about the way Instagram makes teen girls feel worse about their bodies or how black and brown TikTokers often go uncredited for their original choreography on the app. Our feeds are designed to be exploitative, but it's so hard to square that with the fact that they're also fun to scroll through. In both Lauren and Leslie's cases, there was an assumption that having a massive online following would be liberating. It's easy to see why. Online fame opens up new opportunities to make a ridiculous amount of money and live the kind of life that we've all at some point fantasized about. But that fantasy comes with a fair amount of fine print. There's the risk of getting your self-worth tangled up in your public growth, or feeling alienated from the rest of the world, self-interested and afraid of irrelevance. And most of all, mistaking influence for power A TikTok is still no match for the people who set the rules for the game you're playing, no matter how viral it goes. Everyone's jockeying in what feels like a never-ending battle to get to that next level. Occasionally, you might get a Charlie D'Amelio or a Huddy type who finds a trampoline to the top and is held up as a shining example that the system works. But if you've made it this far in the podcast, you understand how rare that kind of win is. In the end, it comes back to fame and this idea that it's waiting for us all. Everyone is a brand now and social media is built to convince us that's an empowering idea. But in practice, it can feel deeply oppressive and emotionally corrupt. Even if, by a long list of standard metrics, you end up better off than where you started. Exploiting this cultural belief was essentially the business model for Clubhouse Media Group and one that had gotten them pretty far in the span of a year or so. But in spring of 2021, stories began trickling out about the company's misdeeds. First, a harbors piece painted the properties as chaotic dwellings full of underage partying. Then in May, Insider published an investigation based on accounts from 19 anonymous employees and influencers who'd worked at Clubhouse Media Group. It highlighted the notch videos and accused Amir of misogynistic behavior and bullying. In response, the company provided a statement to Insider from Amir himself. He said that, following complaints, he hired a chief of staff and an HR professional, created an influencer advisory panel, and, quote, immediately made a concerted effort to refocus my attention within the company, end quote. I should remind you that, according to my reporting, there is no evidence that this so-called advisory panel ever got off the ground. A separate statement from Clubhouse Media Group concluded that, quote, it has been through our challenges that we aim to grow, learn, and course correct for the good of our team of creators, our employees, and the industry as a whole. End quote. As it turns out, that course correction was toward more explicit content. Eventually, Clubhouse Media Group allowed all of its content houses to fizzle out and focused its efforts on WeHeart fans. And as they are wont to do, they shape shifted once again this time rebranding the endeavor as Honeydrip. They announced the launch in a press release. It said, quote, Honeydrip hands the power directly to its creators, providing its roster of talent greater control over their creative output, as well as a larger share of the revenue generated by their content. The platform was designed by Clubhouse Media Group with a focus on the empowerment of creators, end quote. Amir remains at the company's helm. Last I checked, Its stock was trading for 0.0006 cents a share. As for the ambitious young people I'd followed for this podcast, they'd gotten caught up in an intoxicating scene, and the stars in their eyes had dulled. Now, they were left to look for a new purpose in life. Clubhouse videographer Kevin Zenny told me he was disillusioned after his experience in the content house circuit. Since then, he's shifted his aim towards seeing the world and using his video skills to document his travel. At one point, he got robbed in Tulum and had to scramble to get a new passport.
6: So my mom honestly helped me a lot on that part, with documents and that kind of stuff, because I kind of suck with that kind of stuff.
4: Moms are really good for that kind of thing.
6: (sighs) For real, especially, (laughs) yeah, when you're stuck in a different country. Yeah, moms can help for sure.
0: Last I checked on him, he was somewhere in Medellin. As for Chase Swerneman the Texas transplant who rose the ranks of the Clubhouse organization, only to be fired following a fight with a young creator and her mom, there's been a lot of soul-searching. He told me that shortly after he left Clubhouse, he tried to apologize. Actually, he read me the text he sent Cynthia Parker's mom.
6: Hi, Tanya, Apologies for the call out of of the blue. I hope you and Cynthia are both doing well. I wanted to reach out and apologize. Apologize for the lack of my emotional control and simply the way things were handled with Cynthia at notch.
0: It doubled as an emotional reflection of his own trauma from working at Clubhouse. He went on to express regret that his behavior didn't match his ethics and describe the stress he felt during that time. And then this...
6: I wish to not leave my impressions as the person who worked for Amir at Clubhouse, but for who I actually am. I I was simply a puppet on a string following orders from a boss, which I will never allow, happen to me again. I wish Cynthia the best in her future endeavors and projecting career, as well as substantial health and wealth for both of you.
0: He told me she accepted his apology. Chase tried to reach out to Cynthia as well, but he thinks she might have blocked him. It was still important for him to try.
6: That's genuinely me. That was me. You know, not someone through me talking, that was me, Chase, as a person, you know?
0: Nearly two years after his time at Clubhouse Media Group, he's still having a hard time. He's been back at school, training to become an EMT with the hopes of working a job that can really help people. He's been speaking with a therapist and coming to terms with the person he became under the constant stress of helping run a content house operation.
6: I think the person I became working at clubhouse it really took a toll on me i reflected and i had to think back of like okay this is not right everything that has happened here it's not okay and it it should not have ever happened and that's whenever i came to terms and said i've got to move on from this i've got to go and i've got to get myself back to my core i have to get my morals back in line with who i am how i was raised and be the person that i know that i can actually be
0: Daisy Keach has also meditated on her time being caught up in a hype tornado. She's the fitness influencer who helped co-found both Hype House and the first clubhouse property in Beverly Hills. And two years after all of that, she's had enough space away from the scene to see it plainly.
8: I don't even know how to describe it. But, you know, everyone in L.A., at least from what I've gathered, everyone in L.A., they move there to be successful and to, you know, get their dreams, whether it's become an actor, a singer, an influencer, a model, which is great, by the way, you should want to like do all that stuff. But when there is like, like millions of people that all have that same energy and that same mindset, everyone is me, me, me. And like, I would be driving and I could just feel it from other people. Like I am so sensitive to energy and I could just feel it. So, like, collectively, when a bunch of people are feeling that way, the energy gets really big. And with that type of mindset, a lot of different things come with it. Like, a lot of friendships aren't real. And I feel like a lot of the times people started off pure, you know, and then they get hurt. And They're like, oh, this is how it works here. So then they do it to the next new person and the next. And it's like, it all just kind of builds. Honestly, it's a big mind fuck. Like, I can't even wrap my whole, like, I can't. Like, it's so confusing. I learn, like, a new thing that's kind of fucked up about LA every day. She said that, in this environment, she'd lost sight of her priorities. I started to not care about the things that I once cared about, like having a family, having a husband. I just felt like everything, it was a whole different world there. I just felt like it wasn't real life, and it wasn't what I always wanted for myself or always pictured for myself.
0: After moving out of Clubhouse, she and her boyfriend, another influencer, moved in together. In New Year's of 2021, they visited his sister in Nashville and Daisy fell in love with the city. They decided to buy a fixer-upper they could renovate and turn into a rental.
8: We're like, you know, I want to be with you forever, so let's do this. (laughs) Let's just get out of this toxic environment that is doing nothing for us and our future and our lives together.
0: Now, in addition to running her exercise empire and an OnlyFans page, she and her boyfriend have been documenting their journey in a house remodel under a new channel. It's a different kind of content house, a decidedly drama-free one. So many of the young people I interviewed for this podcast arrived in Los Angeles, barely adults or sometimes even teenagers, and landed at the center of a new movement driven by the pursuit of quick fame and fortune. They had a coveted front row seat to a booming industry and subculture. But at a certain point, all the unsavory details that went into making the internet idols they grew up with came to the surface. The friendships that doubled as strategic marketing tools, the fabricated drama that fed the media machine, the Teflon puppet masters pulling strings behind the scenes. They'd seen the way hype could be spun into value and the way that value could disappear in the blink of an eye. Even if we might intrinsically know all that, it's still hard to remember it when you get lost in your feed. Each new personality that pops up as we scroll doubles as a prefabricated dream. Stare too long, and you might lose your sense of reality, or worse, your sense of self. Pulling away is easier said than done. Which brings me back to Leslie Golden. From the very beginning, she'd aimed to find her way into reality TV in hopes that it might level up her social media career. And in the summer of 2021, she finally got her wish. She was flown out to a set on Hawaii's Big Island to be a contestant on the third season of Love Island USA, where she once again pitched her personality to a camera. I'm Leslie, I'm 24
8: years old, and I'm from Texarkana, Texas. I'm not your typical country girl. I guess I'm just kind of looking for somebody that can keep up with my lifestyle.
0: Thanks for listening to This Blew Up. If you enjoyed this podcast, please, please, please take a moment to tell a friend about it. I don't have even close to the amount of followers as the influencers I spoke to. So your word of mouth is the most valuable promotional tool we've got. This Blew Up was written and reported by me, Melissa Bereznak. Its executive producers are Juliette Littman and Sean Fennessy. Our story editors are Connor Nevins and Amanda Dobbins. The show was produced by me, Kai McMullen, Mike Wargon, and Vikram Patel. Copy editing by Craig Gaines. Fact-checking by Juliana Ress. Special thanks to Erica Cervantes, who helped with research and early production. The theme song and some of the other music tracks you heard in this episode were composed by Devin Rinaldo. Other music you heard in this episode is from Blue Dot Sessions and Epidemic Sound. Sound design by Kaya McMullen. Mixing and mastering by Scott Somerville. Art direction by David Shoemaker. Illustration by Alicia Tenoyan. Voice acting by Matthew Sachs, Matthew Knight, and Todd Shoemaker. Thanks for listening, guys.